1 John chapter 2. All right, I'll begin. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Let's pray. Lord, your word is true. Lord, there's a high standard, Father, when we stand in your presence Lord God, to read your word, to hear your word, Father, to, to live your word. Lord, this, this scripture here, this Bible, the word of God, is the standard that we live by, Lord God. Father, you promised to fill us, Lord God, and, and guide us, Lord, and protect us and raise us up, Father, so that we may do things that... Uh, pleasing in your sight. We can't live this life, Lord God, without your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I ask this evening that you would fill me with your Spirit, Lord God, to speak your word. Lord, let it fill my heart, Lord God, and let there be no fear. Let there be no reservation, Lord God, and let, let it be so that the word goes out. You, you claim, you said, Father, that it will not return void. I love you, Lord. Guide your servant this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So this letter from John, as he addresses it, he's addressing it to Christians. He's addressing it to the church, more specifically. And he starts by saying, my little children. And I have to start right there at that point where he's addressing my little children. You see, John has developed the characteristics of Jesus. As we know, John was one of Jesus' disciples, and John was the longest living disciple of Jesus. He lived the longest before he was martyred. So he addresses this in the same way if we were to look back, and I want to just spend some time on focusing on the introduction of the letter. If we look back in the book of Exodus, of how God related to his people, his chosen, he referred to them as the children of God, or more specifically, the children of Israel. And I like to go back to a verse in Exodus, just to bring the connection. It's, it's, yes, it's the Old Testament. And yes, it's a shadow of things to come but it's also the foundation through which Christ came. He says, I came to fulfill the law. So in Exodus, you don't have to turn there. You can just listen. In Exodus 14, verse 13, it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, 
which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, shall, you shall see again no more. Now, why did Moses say that? Because the children of Israel were at a point where the Red Sea was in front of them and the Egyptians were behind them. And this was the statement here. And just to move forward to, to verse 22. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry land. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So John is referring in the same manner, the children. He says, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. Yes, the letter is, it's going out to the church. It's going out specifically to Christians. It's going out to us. And as we will see further down in the letter, there's a category of Christians. And the first category of Christians is referred to as children, little children, or John refers to them as little children. And then there's a second category of, uh, that he refers to. He refers to, refers to them as, as young men. In verse 13, he says, I write to you young men. And then another category of uh, people he writes to, he says, I write to you fathers. So yes, we have the children, we have the young men, and we have the fathers. And again, to look at just this phrase, the statement, children of God. And we know in John 1.12, it says that, for we who believed, who received him, who believed in his name, he gave us the right to become children of God. This is as a, a, a beginning and an entry to our spiritual walk. We're referred to as children of God. And in, also, look back in the book of John, in one of John's Gospels, when Jesus had risen from the dead, he referred to his disciples as he called out to them as they were out fishing. He said to them, children, do you have any food? So this term, children, it's sort of, it's, that's the beginning of our Christian walk. And God sees us as children. He sees us as uh, babes at times. He sees us as, as new believers. And so John's letter is a continuation of that. He says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now what specifically is John writing to these new Christians? What is he trying to say to these new Christians? And you remember the verse back in Exodus the children of Israel was faced with the Red Sea and they were faced with the Egyptians behind them. Now, because they were so young and so new to the power of God, they couldn't see beyond the Red Sea. And that's how it is with us as Christians. When we're newly saved, we don't see the long-term goal or the purpose that God has for us. We're called soon into the body. We receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But what we do see is how our brothers and sisters respond and, t and teach us. We, we see that love, and that's what really God has implanted in us, is that love for him. So we see that love in our brothers and sisters, but 
Truly, is that really enough? Well, John says here, he says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. He says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate. And really, this is the ultimate, right? Oh. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's the ultimate. And as a beginner, as a young Christian, that's not always obvious to us that we have an advocate. Now what John wants to reinforce in new Christians is this. Your salvation is secure. Your hope, your future is secure. You have the victory over the enemy, even though, as it was in the book of Exodus, the Red Sea was before them. And the, the enemy, we'll use this term, the enemy was behind them, in pursuit of them. And that's how we are as new Christians. We come into the body of Christ. We come into the fellowship. But we come in with worry. We come in with concern. We come in with shame. We come in... And we're not fully, we're not completely separated from the things of the world or the things of the flesh. We still have those temptations. We still have those urges. We still have the distractions. I remember Pastor Steve used this term once during a 2-7. He said, you have to be aware of these younger brothers that are coming in, their flight risk. And that's what a young Christian is. The minute temptation comes, the minute hardship comes, what do they want to do? They want to turn back. So John is writing this letter to encourage them that you need not turn back. That you must stay the course. And to reinforce that, here's what he says. He goes on to say even further. He says, even if you sin, even if the temptation grows so strong that you want to turn back, even if you fall, it's not the end. It's not the end. This is where the blood of Jesus Christ comes. This is where the power of God comes in. This is what we learn as Christians as we continue to walk in a fellowship with our brothers and sisters. That when we sin, we know we have an advocate. And that advocate is Jesus the Christ. He's, he's the Messiah. He's the one that was to come. You know, as we look further down, we, we encounter this word and stopped me for a while, the propitiation. You know, what is that? What is a propitiation? Well, to simply put, Jesus took it all upon himself, our shame, our sins, everything that we had in us. He says, this flesh, there's nothing good comes from this flesh, but corruption. Jesus took that corruption upon himself. You see, what our sin also did was it kept us separated from God. That's what our sin did. Sin is disobedience to God's word. And our sin kept us separated from God. Therefore, see, God said in his word, if we were to build, as we build on the foundation of his scriptures, for the wages of sin is death. But thanks be to God that the scripture didn't end there. It goes on to say, but the gift 
of eternal life is through Christ Jesus. It's believing in what Jesus did. So Jesus is that peacemaker, so to speak. He's the mediator between us and God. He's the propitiation. He took it upon himself. He says, he, the word says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He took it all upon himself. But he did it in disobedient, in obedience. We were disobedient. He did it in obedience to the Father because he knew the joy that awaited him. He knew that he would, he would bring young Christians. These children, this would be our anchor. This is our reason to say if we fall, if we stumble, if we sin, it's not the end. Because Jesus' blood is able to cover that. Forgive me, I, I get emotional when I, I stand up here. It was said to me once that the standard is so high. The word of God is so powerful that when you get up and stand in his presence, it shows everything about you. Most of all, it shows your heart. And that's what God wants. He wants our heart. If we, are, uh, if we have any reservations about loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our minds, we can't be a good witness or a representation. We cannot even be good to our brothers and sisters. See, we must first love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. When we're able to do that, then we become better equipped. We become encouragers to our brothers. We become a vessel, a true vessel that God is able to use. So I thank God today that he is still working in us because it's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that keeps carrying us on, that keeps lifting us up, that's always there to bring us back. As, as his word says here, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is our atonement, another word. He's, he himself is our anchor. And it says also that not only for us, but for the whole world. You know, that brings to mind two words. And they both, Jesus qualified to be both of them. A mediator and an advocate. See, Jesus came by being that propitiation, by being that atonement, he is mediating between man and God, between us and God. So our sins will no longer separate us from God. So Jesus mediated a better covenant. The law could not do that. The law was not able to do that. So Jesus came as that propitiation, as that atonement, to bring us back into a good relation, in a right relationship with God. And he didn't just do it for us as Christians. He did it for the whole world. But the minute, the moment we give Jesus our heart, that time, that, that instant, the Bible says, we confess our sins to Jesus. And we believe him. We believe God. God, you did this for me. See, it's, it's personal, you see. God did this for me. 
He says the Holy Spirit comes into us and seals us to all eternity. That's a powerful thing. That is a powerful, powerful thing. The law could not do that. The law was not capable of doing that. The law reminded us that we are sinners. But it couldn't save us. So now, we know that God, through Jesus, was able to bring us back to him. Jesus now, being that mediator, created an avenue for us to be in right relationship with God. And the moment we accept him as our Lord and Savior, now he becomes our advocate. So you see that. He, he moves from being a mediator to an advocate. And he's, he, he does this for Christians. See, that's what separates us from non-Christians. In, in fact, there are two reasons, two major points that separates us from non-Christians. The first point being, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And second of all, we have Jesus who's advocating for us day and night with the Father. And what our measure, our purpose now is, we want to encourage each other. We want to let that light show through us. We want to show Christ in us. And I've said this many times <clears throat> as I've had conversations with my wife. I said, you know, you don't want to see David. Really, if, the more you see of David, the more conflicts we're going to have. She says, what you want to see is, and she, she's with me. She's right there. She supports me. You want to see Christ in David. David is full of error. David is full of flaws. David is, David's love is unconditional. And that brings us to the next step. In verse 3, he says, Now, by this, we know, we know him. Now, by this, we know him. So first, in, in uh, verse 1, chapter 2, and I like to put it in this context, as I had mentioned before. He's addressing these young Christians, these new Christians that has come into the faith or has come into the church. But then he goes a little bit more in depth. First, he reassures them that their salvation, just to say that again, that their salvation is sure, is secure. And he goes on even further. By this, verse 3, we know that we know him if we keep his commandment. I think for most Christians, especially young Christians, naturally you want to look back to the law. Naturally you want to do. When you hear commandments, well, here's, I have to live a certain way. I have to be a certain way. I have to, I have to reach God. I have, to, I have to be good because the law says so. Well, let's, let's read a little further, and we'll come back to that. It said, he who says, I know him, who knows Jesus Christ, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, this is the key part, almost, I would say, answering the question, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. 
Now, if we recall back in the Gospel of John, when Jesus was speaking, he says, If you love me, you would keep my commandments, and my commandments are not burdensome. And in other scriptures, in other scriptures, he's quoted as saying, When he answered a lawyer, the law, a lawyer came to him and asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, and the second is like unto it. He says, to love your neighbor as yourself. So, now by this, let's go back to verse 3. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The theme in John's letter here today is love. God's commandments, Jesus' commandment was solidified. It is to love. First to love him and to love our brothers and sisters. See, by this, the world will know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. That's the strength of our Christian bond, is the love of God. That's, that's the commandment. That's what we want to show as, if I, maybe to use this reference here, the young men that is quoted further down in this verse, I want to give them the title as maybe a little bit more mature Christians. He's been in the faith a lot longer. What the young men are called to do, what we are called to do, that's been in the church a little longer, is to love these new believers. That's what keeps them. That's the first thing they see. Because they're not, it's not clear to them at that moment, at that time, because they're so young to understand the atonement of Jesus. They're not, they're, they're not quite, it's not quite clear to them that their salvation is secure. And a major part of that is because of the influences outside in the world. Uh, another part of that is because of the religious, uh, religious leaders, there are those that, that want to be religious, those that believe that you must follow the law in order for God to be pleased with you. There's that influence that has come in and has infiltrated the church that will cause young believers to be drawn back into the world or to be confused rather like what else do I have to do but Jesus simplifies it now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor of yourself that love is reinforced in us. That love, as it says in verse 5, the love of God is perfected in him who is obedient, in him who has the Holy Spirit in his heart. That love is perfected because we know that that's the love that keeps us and grounds us and reflects who God is to other believers and to the world. So verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. You know, when I, 
focus on this for a minute. You see, Jesus, when he calls his disciples, he calls his disciples and he wants, it's John 14, 11, I, verse that I referenced from that. John 14, 11, I have this here. <clears throat> it says, believe me that I am in the Father. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. See, when Jesus, when, when Jesus calls us, when Jesus works, when he's working through us, we become like Jesus. And that's, that's the scripture that I really wanted to focus on, that we become like Jesus. As I had mentioned to you before when I had shared with my wife that you want to see Christ in me. You don't want to see, you don't want to see this person. You want to see Christ in me. Verse 7, brethren, I write no new command to you. So what John is doing as we look, we go forward here, he's sort of progressing from his, uh, his letters to the new Christians as he addressed the little children, and he's progressing through in his epistle. First, that we know Jesus. He's our atonement. We know that our salvation is, is secure, is sure. We know that it's by the love that we have, the love of God, that love which is perfected in us, is, that, is being obedient to his commandment. Because he also says that in verse, looking back at, uh, at verse 4, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. You know, another theme in John's letter, he says, uh, God is love, God is light, God is life. And we also know God is the truth. He is the truth, his word is true. And if we want, if we want to reflect Christ in us, we must have that love in our hearts. Verse 7 says, Brethren, I write no new command, no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. I want to read verse, up to verse 8 also, just to combine those two. It sounds like a contradiction. Initially, it sounds like a contradiction. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true? In him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So verse 7 says, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And in verse 8, again a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true? In him 
and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, we know that the commandment that he talks about is love. It's his love. But if we look back at, let's see, the Old Testament in Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, it says this. You shall not, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the old commandment is to love. The old commandment is to love. And as John is saying here, I write you no new commandment. Because it's still love. But what is this new commandment he's talking about? And here it is. It starts with Jesus. He says, a new commandment I give to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. So, What's the difference there? Well, it doesn't, see, doesn't appear as if there's much of a difference. Here's the difference. I'm loving you under the old commandment based on the love that I have in me. And my love is conditional. See, I will love you depending on how well you treat me. But it's still love, okay? It's still love. But the new commandment Jesus brings to us, it's still love, but it's his love. That's the difference. It's the love of Christ. That's why you don't want to see David. You don't even want to hear about the love that David has, unless it references Christ, unless it references the love of God. They, they all, they go hand in hand. By me loving God, with all my heart and all my soul, then now, he says, I'm walking in the light. And, you know, Jesus said this to the disciples, that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So now I'm walking in the light. There's no need, there's no cause for me to stumble. I'm able to love my brother. I'm able to love my sisters in that unconditional love because the love did not originate with me. Yet, it's still love. So that's the love that John is emphasizing here with that old commandment and the new commandment. It's about love. It's about love. So as we go on here in verse 9, said, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. You see, here's sort of a sidebar. We can fool each other maybe for so long. We can, we can put on a good, uh, a good face, so to speak, you know, until things go wrong. <sighs> but we can't fool God. And that's who ultimately we want to please. And that's why it, it always starts with to love the Lord. Jesus says, it's a new commandment I give you, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And to love your brother and sister as 
I, as Jesus, have loved you. So Jesus gave us that example of what true love is, unconditional love. And that's the love that is in the church. That's the love that's being fostered in the church. That's the love that is being manifest in the church. That's the love that's growing in the church. That's the love that we want the world to see, the love of Jesus Christ, as we show it between each other, our brothers and sisters. Excuse me. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for him to stumble. You know, to take this as it's written here, between light and darkness, we want to be in the light. I mean, naturally, we want to be in the light. Spiritually, in order for us to be in the light, we have to love as Jesus loves. He says, because if you don't do this, you're creating opposition and obstacles. If I'm walking in darkness, I can't see what's in front of me. But when I'm walking in the light, I can see as far as the end of the chair sitting over there. I can, I can see beyond. And just a reference back, new believers, that's what we want to show them. We want to show them the love of Christ. That's what will draw them in. That's what will build them up. That's what will encourage them. That's what the world will see because we're in the church. And if I had mentioned this before, I don't recall, but I'll say it again. This letter that John is writing, he's writing it to us Christians. He's writing it to the church. And based on, based on his love, based on his wording, I want to say he starts with the children. He addresses uh, members, he addresses children like babes. The, you're the new believers. And then he goes, uh, oh, let's, let's read on. Let, let's, let's continue on here. And then we'll get to that part. Verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. See, that's the reassurance that young Christians need to have, that our sins are forgiven. I need to have that sometimes. I need to be reminded of that sometimes, that my sins are forgiven. Then he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Now, so we have children. We have uh, fathers. And you know how he addresses, see how he addresses each differently. That, that, to me, is a level of spiritual maturity. There's children, there's the young men, and then there's the fathers. So, bear with me here if I 
give my side note and understanding of the young men. He says, I'm just going to read this again. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Now, the young men, let's say, they've been in a few battles. Unlike the children, they've survived, they've come through. Because we, we all know that when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord, when we become a Christian, we identify who our enemy is right away. Well, maybe not right away. But we identify who our enemy is. It's not a coworker. It's not a boss. It's not a neighbor who maybe just put up that fence and didn't consult with us, whatever the case may be. It's not the person that cut us off as it happened to us as we were coming out the church today. Or that person that ran red light and you almost collided with them, whatever the case may be. We identify who the true enemy is because now everything is spiritual. Nothing happens to, in a Christian's life by chance. God allows it, and that's the maturity that we have as Christians. That's who these young men are. They've come through some attacks, and they've survived it. They've had some encounters, some testing. There is a scripture that I wanted to refer to on that. Um... It's Jesus' conversation with Simon Peter. I had the reference here, but I'll just go right to it. Many of you know what it is. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. He wants to try you, Simon, because he knows your potential. He knows the plans that I have for you. He says, but I have prayed for you. And when you have overcome, when you have, uh, when you have walked in the, the, the victory path that, that Jesus has already laid, strengthen your brother. Strengthen the brethren. So, that's, so these I attribute to the young men. These are the young men in the church. But, and why I do that? Because he says this, I write you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Ah. You know, we who are strong, the Bible says, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. You know, and we can only do that through love. That's the example that Jesus has set for us. And, and we, as we continue in his love, as John has had continued in his love, and as John has become more like Jesus, we also are becoming more like Jesus. And all of this, all of this we give credit to the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Second spiritual level, or spiritual maturity the fathers he says see I I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning so who are these fathers in the church again bear with me as I put reference to it these are the elders 
These are the ones that's been in church, that's been, let's say, the seasoned Christians, that has discipled the young men, that has been that example to, to the new believers, that has stand through the test of time, these fathers. They're elders in the church. They could be pastors. And Allah. I wanted to say I'll, I stand corrected here if, if that is not the case, but that's, I believe that's what the Spirit wants me to share with you tonight. That these fathers are the more mature, the higher mature, these are the leaders in our church. These are the men that oversee us all, that look out for us. And yes, I, I attribute them to our pastors. So, John's letter, he addresses from the, the youngest or the newest Christian to the more mature and to the elders and the leaders. He wants to reinforce in the church. And there's a reason why he wants to reinforce in the church. And, and it could well be, it could well be that with these younger Christians, he wants to put more emphasis on their soul. He wants to put more emphasis on their spiritual growth. And, and knowing that they're the ones that's going to come under attack, and they're the ones that are more susceptible to turning back, those who are newly saved. And we see that over time. We've seen how younger Christians, when someone gets saved, and, and, and they... They're rejoicing, and they've baptized, and they're praising God. The enemy automatically comes. The enemy comes right then, and he comes under the attack. So we are not ignorant of his devices as mature Christians. We are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And who he comes after? He comes after the ones that are most vulnerable, the children. So... John's letter is addressing from the children, from the newer Christians, to the most seasoned Christians. He says, pay attention, church, because the enemy is desiring to come after the church. He wants to corrupt the church. And whatever avenue is available for him to do that, he will use it. And the most vulnerable, and as parents we can certainly attest to this. The most vulnerable in the home is our children. And that's how it is in our church. So we have to put more emphasis to protecting our children. You know, and we can do that also um, by what they see on TV, um, by the music they listen to, by the internet. You know, because yes, technology has advanced and the children don't need to go out into the world to encounter the enemy. Because of technology, the enemy is able to come right into their personal space. In fact, in fact, the enemy can come into the church also. And we know that. And that's why we have elders. That's why we have pastors. 
That's why we have overseers. So he's saying here, you know him, going back to verse 13, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is from the beginning. Skipping down to verse 14, and he repeats it, right? He repeats it, but there's a change here if we look, as he talks about, he says, I write to you, I'm sorry, the last verse in, uh, in 13, the last sentence in 13 here. He says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Now, that to me is just building upon their salvation. Reinforcing that you know him. You know him. That's the same uh, statement that he makes to the fathers. So you see now, the children, as we nurture the children and we raise them up to have the same knowledge of God and Jesus Christ as the, fa as the fathers or as the pastors, as the elders, he notices that here as he writes, he says, <clears throat> of course, he starts with, I write to you little children because, in verse 12, because your sins are forgiven you. Let's reinforce this. Your salvation is secure. And he goes on further in the last uh, couple of verses. He says, I write to you, little children, because you have known him. You have known the Father. You have known God through Jesus Christ. Now, to me, this is a, sense, a, a form of growth, if I should say. And finally, in verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So, again, this is the church. This, John's message is to the church. And he breaks it down into spiritual levels, spiritual states, let's say. And he addresses each according. And when he mentions about the fathers, you look back. The fathers know from the beginning. They, they're the ones that know God from the beginning. They're the ones that can teach us about God. They're the ones that know about creation. Let, let's go back to Genesis in its original form. The fathers knows about creation. They can teach these new believers that God is our father. They can also teach the children about the fall of man, why we're in the state we're in, because they're mature Christians. And furthermore, in the same uh, the same text, they can also teach the children that God had provided a redeemer for man. So, from creation to the fall to a redeemer. See, they know this, and it has come to pass through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Jesus Christ is the one who redeems us to the Father. This I want to say, this is the gospel as a whole. But we know it's not the complete gospel. Because we have, and this is what we have to teach our children, as basic and as elementary as it is for us who are mature in the faith, 
because the world is not teaching them the creation. The world is not teaching them about the fall of man. The world is not teaching them about sin. But they're taught that in the church. So here are the fathers who knows about creation. We know about the fall of man. We know that we were redeemed. And this started in the book of Genesis. Soon after uh, Adam and Eve sinned, God provided redemption for them. He says, and your uh, seed will crush his head. And that's Jesus Christ. That's the foretelling of Jesus Christ. He also provided, as we know, covering for them. So because what sin does is it, it, it exposes our shame. We want to sin, but we want to sin in private. But God wants us to confess our sin. So God provides that covering for us. So the fathers are able to teach this to the young men and also to the children so that we can all be aware of the enemy that we have. And this enemy, the Bible tells us, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. To be honest, the enemy wants to rip the church, to, to destroy the church. And again, whatever avenue is available for him to do that, he will do that. But we know with creation and the fall and redemption that's not the story is not complete it's not complete to complete it Jesus Christ says it I will come again he says I've gone away to prepare a place for you but I will come again so we have his first and second coming his first coming was to redeem us back to the father his second coming will be to bring us home, will be to take us home. And that's what John is reinforcing here as he starts his letters, my little children. And looking back, just to touch base quickly or touch point quickly on Exodus, the children of Israel were looking forward at the sea before them. And they could not see beyond that. But the power of God, as Moses says, stand still and see the power of God. The power of God is going to come in the form of Jesus Christ when he comes to rapture the church. That's for sure. In the same light as the Red Sea parted and the children was able to walk through dry land, Christ is going to come again in the power of God and he will bring us back home. That's the confidence that we have that our young Christians should have, and that we want to emphasize that Jesus is coming again. And he's coming to take us home. But there is, there is one more point, and I'll wrap, wrap up at this point. There is a final judgment. There is a final judgment. You know, we talked about the mediator and the advocate. He can mediate for the world many years. He can continue to mediate for the world. But if the world doesn't, let's say, for example, I have an attorney that has mediated for me all this time, but I, I never went to him. I, I stayed in my own space. I never hired this attorney, but he's there to mediate for me. So there is a judgment that will come to those, and we know that, that those who have rejected Christ, to those who have, um, 
have opposed Christ, to those who oppose God. There are people in this world that they completely oppose God, and we see that. We have uh, uh, the evangelism training that we go out to, and we go out into the community. And, um, and we see those people. We see those people. But we don't judge them. We love them. Why do we love them? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We do. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have to remember that. We have to be reminded of that. If, as uh, John had stated, in, if, you've, if truly, or Paul actually says, have you confessed in vain? Have you followed in vain? You have the Holy Spirit in you. The love of God resides in you. So, yes, so there is these, let's call them major doctrines, if we can. We have creation. We have the fall. We have redemption. Jesus' first and second coming. And then we have judgment. And we will not face judgment. Thank God for that, because Jesus already took that for us. He's already took that. So, that's my message this evening. Um, I know at this point we usually come together and, and pray. Um, so, the topic of our prayer this evening that I would like to share is that that love of God, not your love, but his love, will reside in us, will show more, uh, will be more evident in us, in our church. What the love does is it, it bridges a gap. It fills a void. It comforts the Bible called the downtrodden. The world rips, rips you apart. The world, it's like it, sh it shreds you. It, it, it chews you up and spits you, spits you out. Forgive the term expression there. But in the church, you're built up. You're built up in a church, and it starts with love. So 